Now we'd like to welcome into the studio apartment, Chris J. Kelly. Hello. He has been recapping girls for Queerdy.com. And one of our favorite parts about your reviews is how you talk about the emotional aging of all of the characters of girls and how those ages wane and wax throughout the season. (laughs) So we asked you here to talk a little bit about how everybody's emotional ages has grown or shrank in season two. Well, it's funny because I think one of my major qualms or problems with season two has actually been that there hasn't been a true arc. Like over the 10 episodes, everything seemed to be sort of choppy. And so a lot of what looked like trends early in the season, for instance, like Shoshana, I thought was actually getting very steadily older. It start, everything started out as a pretty clear line and then became this sort of amorphous cloud. I think overall, Shoshana gets older. I think she starts off young and gets at times really old. I think I put her at like 93 for my oldest <laughs> at some point. I think Jessa does some growing um, until she evaporates and then who knows how old she is. I thought Marnie was getting older, but I think she actually started more stable than she ended. I think I downgraded her overall. And I think Hannah flatlined. I don't think Hannah actually has any growth or like de-evolution. I think she just stays Hannah throughout. Can we talk about um, some of the high points and low points throughout the season? Sure. For the various characters? Yeah. Like, let's start with Hannah. Hannah's high point She had some career successes that sort of put her at her highest, like when she gets that blogging job, even though it's kind of a crap blogging job, she at least applies herself to the process of actually getting and taking as much cocaine as she can. Yes. She commits fully. Yeah. So she's a grown up there and she, and because of that, she gets discovered-ish to get that book deal. And that's like an adult accomplishment for her. She doesn't handle any of that accomplishment like an adult. But that is an adult accomplishment and good on her. I think one of my favorite examples of that is when she's having the meeting with John Cameron Mitchell and Mm. they're like making a book deal. And then immediately after she runs outside and pukes bright pink. That was like a perfect (laughs) high low moment in that episode. Microcosm of Hannah Horvath (laughs) right there. Even once she gets the job and it's really her dream. Like this is the thing that she's been working for for like a season and a half by this point. Once she gets it, she doesn't actually sit down to do it. Like, her whole goal was just to get the job. Mm -hmm. Doing the job is something for someone far more grown up than her. I feel like it's something that she could have never accomplished anyway. So, like, (laughs) even if she was more organized and, like, on track and writing, which I sort of got the sense Mm. that she was, writing a book in a month is... It's not a realistic... Thing that an editor would ask somebody to do, though, to write a whole book in a month? Dooming herself to fail. The other question that I always have about Hannah is whether she is a good writer. Because it seems like every time we've had an example of her doing some sort of writing, Mm -hmm. um, like, for instance, when she did that, I think it was season one that she went to that reading and she ended up tanking because she, like, panicked and wrote something new at the last minute. Or when she sends pages to her editor and he just flat out hates them. Like, I kind of wonder if she's always self-sabotaging but is secretly a good writer, or if maybe she actually just can't hack it? I feel like she's in a similar situation to Marnie, where Mm -hmm. it's like when you graduate, you kind of have to 
pretend to yourself that your career path is set and that you're going to be uh, an art curator or a writer or whatever just to like stay sane. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's not what Hannah is actually meant to do. Maybe there is a secret dream that she's been like pushing aside and hasn't been pursuing similar to Marnie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only indication we get that she's a good writer is that we hear other people telling her she's a good writer, but we never get to really see it for ourselves. Although yeah. I did like the line about a friendship between two girls is thicker or like more crazy. Thicker. I was thinking like blood is thicker than water. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. But in like the last episode, the line that's on her computer, Mm -hmm. but that's Mm -hmm. like a line. Yeah. It's it's one sentence is not a whole book. Maybe the issue is not that she needs another dream, but that she needs a reality. Mm -hmm. Like in the same way that Marnie has to get a hostessing job because she's a real person in the real world. Like, Hannah doesn't have a grounded reality. Like, she has her job at Grumpy's, but she's already quit once and then just magically showed up again as if she still has that job. Um, But she's never... It doesn't seem... Oh, and she had her office job for, like, a day in season one, but she really doesn't have, like, a reality to deal with. And I think the end of season two is the first time we see her actually getting a reality check when the OCD comes back, and she's completely stymied like has no idea how to handle Mm -hmm. a real world problem like i think the dream part she's got covered okay we have to talk about ocd yeah Um, i i think you sort of agreed when it first came on in the sixth or seventh episode Mm -hmm. it was so gimmicky and i i still am not sure how i feel about it it seems Mm -hmm. so forced and out of nowhere and just a total like plot twist to make things interesting Absolutely. I, when it first happened, like completely rejected it. And I had even friends who were like, you know, I work with mental illness and OCD really does come back like this. And I was like, yeah, sure. I will buy that. But I think as like, yeah, as a fictional structural thing, it is completely manipulative of the audience to be like, oh, Hannah's really going through something suddenly. Like it Mm -hmm. didn't make any sense. I like that they at least stuck with it. Mm-hmm. It, this is not a situation where they brought it in for an episode and then dealt with it and threw it away. At least she's still really going through it, really having issues. And every episode since it was introduced has been fully about her OCD. And it's not making her quirky. It's making her fucked up. Yeah, it's it's definitely like at least a real grounded OCD experience. She's not, yeah, just like arranging her silverware just so. It's like, <laughs> it's not cute OCD. I overall like it because I think... I've been waiting for Hannah to have to deal with a problem. You know, she doesn't really have to have a job or pay rent or deal with the consequences of any of her actions. Like, people, no matter how awful she is, are constantly coming back to her, constantly showering her with praise, Mm -hmm. constantly, like, making out with her and sleeping with her. Like, she just has nothing but, like, bounty in her life, regardless Mm -hmm. of what she does to screw it up. And so, as an audience member, I've been craving a situation where she has some hardship because... She's probably earned more than her fair share. I mean, if I lived like her, I would be homeless and alone. <laughs> and the interesting thing about the OCD and the right or Lena and the other writers choosing that to be her problem is it's not something she can control. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily a situation she's put herself in and she has to deal with. It's like a thing that has been dealt to her and she has to deal with it which you know with all the talk about how much privilege she has this has been an interesting development to discuss something that would purport to go against that privilege 
I personally just wish it had gone in a direction of like she's experiencing anxiety like she is overwhelmed by what is going on in her life I don't know like depression or something there's something about OCD specifically and the fact that we didn't see any signs of it before that I I'm having a really hard time accepting so you don't buy it do you think she's overreacting no, I, I think it's true for the character. I just think as far as the writing goes, uh, it's a little, it feels cheap to insert that into the plot instead of just like, I don't know, a more ordinary person dealing with just the everyday issues of work and friends and life not working out. I guess if I had one gripe with the season, it would be that it doesn't necessarily feel like a lot happens. And I think, Chris, that's kind of what you mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, There's a lot of emotional turmoil that happens. And, you know, there are these moments where the characters are having epiphanies and sort of realizing uh, who they are and what they want. But overall, I have to agree with you about Hannah flatlining and at least, you know, with the exception, I think, of the fifth episode, One Man's Trash, with Patrick mm. Wilson, where she spends the day at his house, which uh, maybe we could get to talking about a little bit, oh, yeah. there's not a lot of revelation for her. The fifth episode, for me, it's interesting that you bring that up in terms of revelation, because I actually found that to be one of her least revelatory moments. I know she, like, she has that big breakdown at, at, near the end, which is one of my favorite moments, where she suddenly has this, like, sobbing breakdown about how she has all these wants and she just really wants to be happy and she's having all these experiences because she wants to like live for other people she has this whole long justification about everything that she's going through and i feel like every single word of it rings so false Hmm. like i think the idea that she just wants to be happy but won't let herself be happy is a really indulgent self-pitying way of her viewing her own life where, again, she has plenty going for her, including, let's look around where you are right now, Hannah Horvath. Like, you are in Patrick Wilson's nice apartment while he, like, feeds you wine and gives you (laughs) orgasms um, and treats you like a princess. Mm -hmm. Oh, and you want to be happy? Do you? Do you? How how nice for you. Um, And then she talks about how she's having all these experiences because she wants to live for other people, but, like, she's not thinking about anyone of herself. She's having experiences because she wants to have them. So... She thinks that she has an epiphany, and she cries about having an epiphany, but I don't think she leaves that apartment any different than she entered it. I don't know. I guess I just saw that as her emerging, like, with the veil of everything in my life is awesome. Look at all my friends that I have around me. Look at all my, like, great experiences. I felt like a veil was lifted for her where suddenly she was like, oh, yeah, I don't have a lot going for me. There are moments in that episode that are silent, that are wonderful, where they are like sitting around each other and not looking at each other. And there's this sort of sad silence, which is, I think, almost a better acknowledgement of her actual internal state than anything she says out loud, because she's not great at processing her own emotions or thoughts or experiences. So those moments where she's just sitting with him and neither of them are giving or getting anything. And it's clear that like, oh, we're just like playing house because he got divorced and he's super sad and she's lost and doesn't know what she's doing. And that's kind of the like discovery moment for me of like she, where she does seem to be like playing at being happy. 
in that situation, she should be happy. She's 25 and she's sleeping with a hot doctor that she never has to talk to again. Like, these are the moments we live for. Come on. I want that weekend. <laughs> I think we all want that weekend. Yeah, right? Cook me a steak on your awesome porch. Let's laugh at the hipsters next door. They're great. <laughs> wow. So ultimately, that episode gets to the heart of all our fantasies, I guess, and that's why we love it. That's why we want to be Hannah Horvath a little bit. Yeah. Maybe not as a, like, personality, but as an experience. Like, the things I could do with her life. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious to get your take on Marnie, who is mm. my least favorite person on the show, but you thought that her emotional state sort of down-spiraled throughout the season. Yeah, I think she started out pretty solid. I think that she... Oh, I'm already getting a head shake. Ksenia, <laughs> do you disagree? I think she's the least mature character of everyone. Like, she is below um, Shoshana. I think... I mean, I, I definitely think she took a downward turn. I, I, I think... I think she, it was there the whole time. That's fair. I think... <laughs> I gave her better scores earlier on because we saw her... In the same way that I'm saying, like... Hannah doesn't have to deal with adversity, like things just happen to her. I think that Marnie actually got dealt some pretty rough blows in the first couple episodes. She get, Her job gets yanked out from under her in like the least sensitive way possible. Oh my God. Um, and then she has that like horrible lunch with her mom and her mom is Rita Wilson, which is also weird. Um, and I think that she handles that really well. I think that her initial seeing Charlie after the breakup, like, at that dinner party is pretty mature up until she makes out with him, which is a problem. Um, <laughs> but there are inklings early on that she's actually handling toughness in, like, a grown-up way. And then she sort of lets it all get to her, and she makes every wrong decision after that. Like, I think the whole Booth-Jonathan thing is, like, a clear flailing because she needs attention, and then, like, this Charlie situation is a mess, and they are codependent, and it's a problem. And everything that happens anywhere in the same room as him, she's just, like, lost. Like the song. Oh, the song. I can almost see where she's coming from because it's been all about how, like, you know, you need to follow your dream, you need to sing. And, like, she... I see why she thinks she's making a grown-up decision by following her dream and singing. But she's not doing it for her. She's doing it for him. And he's not even a good goal to have because... What is that? I don't even know with Charlie. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I've had conversations about this show where people are like, Charlie is the only character that I like. And I'm like, what are you thinking? I think he's just very bland. And the reason Marnie likes him is because suddenly, instead of being this nice to a fault puppy following her around, catering to her every whim, he's like actually taken control of his life and sold the successful app. Mm -hmm. and now has loads of money and so it's really hard to turn off the idea that like yeah she's she likes him because he's a little bit more sure of himself now but also he's like filthy rich and she clearly likes that because in their getting together like denouement scene she of course brings it up i just want you to know that i don't love you for your money i don't because i don't even know how much money you have a bunch a lot a lot of money i have always found Marnie to be sort of the most 50s housewife of the group in a way. I think that she really has like this born traditional wife in her. Mm -hmm. And Charlie has become the traditional breadwinner husband. Mm -hmm. 
And so regardless of their personalities and their sexual chemistry or anything else, they fulfill roles that I think she feels really invested in. And I think he must have some sort of like masochism thing going on or like that he wants to continue getting involved with her even though every interaction with her is a challenge and a problem and a fight and usually he leaves feeling worse than he came into it with. So, I mean, their relationship is a nightmare. I I think for her, Charlie is more than money and his weird transformation, which I don't really fully believe. Hmm. Um, I, I think it's the protection. Like, the whole time um, um, when she had that terrible interview, like, all I see in Marnie is, like, this 15-year-old girl who needs approval mm-hmm. like just constant it's almost like when she was growing up there was well obviously not a mother but like an aunt or a teacher who would tell her how amazing and smart and pretty she was and then she like left charlie and started going out into the real world and was rejected over and over and over and so she realized that she needed the protection of charlie and his undying love for her like there's not an atom of her that he dislikes. He, like, worships her, and she requires that in order to, like, keep her world protected. I like that. I like the theory a lot. I think there is a lot to the idea that she needs that validation, and things really did fall apart for her when she didn't have it. Does the show need a traditional character? I'm often finding myself wondering why why they did decide to write such a housewifey character into this group of friends i actually have a lot to say about or i have some ideas i don't have a lot to say (laughs) about traditional gender roles in girls because i think it is so interesting lay it on us (laughs) that the season finale none of the three women talk to each other the three remaining girls don't talk to each other And they all end on a swell of music as a man saves them. Like, I was watching just, like, plastered to the back wall of my apartment in shock. (laughs) Like, I had been shot by the TV. I couldn't even believe it. And, I mean, again, it's telling that that was the episode that was co-written by Judd Apatow. Mm -hmm. Um, But I thought it was suddenly the most generic, gender-normative like depiction of people that I've seen from the show in its entire run. But that was the image we're left with is everything's better, especially for Hannah, as long as like a man can run and come save you. And I, what is that? Well, I, I appreciated that Lena used the really traditional, like Nora Ephronian, Mm -hmm. um, scene of the man running through the streets to the swell of music to save his woman but girls does turn that trope on its head because when adam gets to her apartment and confronts her problems there's nothing he can do to fix them he can't fix her ocd he can't write her novel for her he can't repair her friendships with marnie and jessa and shoshana so it's kind of a false use of that and i think that they're using that in some ways satirically where he gets there and like the credits roll and the fun song plays but we know whatever happens after that when he puts her down 
that the same old shit is just there. So I, I don't know. I mean, I was also kind of shocked when he started running through the streets mm-hmm. and the music started playing. I was like, what are they doing? But at least that's why... I think I, that's why they did it. And, and I think that ties in with the finale, um, however you pronounce it, of the previous season as well, where it really seemed like it was this romantic finish. You know, Jessa was getting married. Shoshana, did she lose her virginity in that episode? Mm-hmm. Yes. And Hannah was bonding with Adam, and Adam wanted to move in with her. Like, there's this, like, potential of women being fulfilled through romance but in the end you know adam gets hit by a van and Mm -hmm. hannah ends up on the beach by herself and i i think it yes i think in both cases it's a little bit twisted and not the traditional resolution yeah i buy and i do buy the irony of it especially because like you said I mean, if Hannah weren't as unstable as she is, Adam would be the most unstable character on the show. Mm -hmm. So there's no saving potential there. But it was just sort of an interesting thing that it wasn't even just Hannah. Like, as much as Shoshana's story is about finally breaking up with Ray, that's not how she ends. She ends making out with a guy in the bar. Yeah. And as much as Marnie is about, like, trying to figure out who she is and follow her dreams... She ends up just, like, walking around, like, wifey-wifey with Charlie. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it was the combination of all three of them. And again, the fact that none of them so much as said a word to each other throughout the episode, that it did feel very much like everything was about, like, well, who is my man for the week? Mm -hmm. Like, it just, it was overwhelming. And I kind of wanted there to be more of that irony, almost. Like, a little more acknowledgement that, like, yeah, this is a show mostly about... The girls, the you know, the women and how they are. I think the show is strongest when they're talking to each other. Absolutely, but I don't. I don't think you can dismiss the fact that women do discover themselves through the romantic choices that they make. Like I, that's why I'm so obsessed with that fifth episode, and like, don't even have the words to talk about it. Is because <laughs> is because it's like Hannah, you know, after you know many other makeout sessions with addicts and hmm. all kinds of weird people um republicans uh <laughs> <laughs> etc you know she comes into this older man's brownstone and is like is this a path that i can take like is this someone i could be um i i do think that's part of how women work and think i'm curious to hear more about why you think Shoshana went from almost reaching a higher emotional age. You said she was 92, or was that Hannah? No, she uh, that was Shoshana, who was at one point in her 90s. What moment was that? Um, th- There was one of the episodes where she didn't say that much, Um, but she had this sort of world weariness about her. She just seemed like that kind of like, really mean grandma who just like (laughs) had it with the world i forget i think it involved her having like either a fight with ray or something had gone wrong and the episode where she didn't know what a butt plug was yeah yes that is the one and that's the one and she figured out that he was living with her that's right um and then he told her point blank that he was a loser and that just like in one year out the other 
And her next words were, I'm in love with you. Yeah, um, that's right. I didn't give her the credit for being 90 because I thought she was mature. It's because I thought she had Alzheimer's. (laughs) (laughs) Because she actually had no grasp of anything that was happening that episode. She didn't know who she was living with or what sex things were. And, like, you could say something to her and it was gone the next instant. (laughs) So I guess being, you know, being older is good to a point. And then she sort of went off the deep end. Shoshana is one of those characters that's endlessly fascinating to me because in the same breath, she can be like a really strong, badass feminist, but also be talking about pillows and ribbons. (laughs) So she is constantly... And Twilight. Yes. So she's she's constantly like fascinating to me because I never know what's going to come out of her mouth and Mm -hmm. what level of emotional maturity she's going to attain next. She's great because she is so... Because she's a couple years younger than everyone else, she's a little earlier in the self-discovery thing. And I think that does sort of play into the the lack of predictability that she hasn't figured out what her role is yet. So she could do she could do anything. She doesn't know. Like Marnie, I feel like wants to like thinks she knows what her role is. Marnie has a pretty set idea of herself. Mm-hmm. And Shoshana not knowing herself means that we don't really know her either. She could, you know, she could make out with the doorman. Why not? You know? And her hairstyles got continually more crazy this year. Oh my year. god, where else can you put a bun? You can put a bun anywhere. <laughs> Shoulder bun. I'm waiting for it. Like, buns everywhere. She's really... I, someone on that show should get a raise for those hairdos. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like she's a sort of... As much as I love her, I do feel like she's sort of a disjointed character. And mm-hmm. it's almost like she's um, this visiting character who pops in and out because she doesn't change from her interactions with other people very much. Like her relationship with Ray was interesting, but she's very self-contained and like she basically talks to herself most of the time and like figures things out aloud just through herself, not in conversation with other people. Does she even belong on the show? Does she even contribute anything, really? I mean, I don't know that I buy that she's actually friends with the other three. Like, it does seem like, how do they even know her? I think she's the most... She's Jess's cousin. Oh, that's right. They do establish that in the first episode that she... But it's like kind of an afterthought. Yeah, they just need an excuse for Jessa to show up and be British. Because otherwise, Jessa and Shoshana would never speak to each other. That's also true. But it does kind of... I think she's the most obvious comic relief as well. I think that on a show that is sometimes not a comedy in its presentation, Shoshana helps to be the one who smoked crack by accident and is running around (laughs) without her pants on. Like... She is the definite comic relief in any situation, and there is value to that. She doesn't necessarily belong in the world, but she helps the world. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) She's the crack spirit guide for the world. We need one. Yeah. And so what about Jessa? Jessa, I I felt a distinct lack of this season Mm -hmm. because she was away for the last three episodes, the ones where all the emotionality comes to a head. Um, but I loved her breakup scene with Thomas John. It's incredible. She was all over the place, but I'm curious, Chris, if you think that it all like fit together. Did it make sense to you? It did. It's funny. You talked about Marnie being your least favorite character. Jessa is actually mine um, because she has a she has no moral compass. She's aware of what consequences are, and it's not where like with Hannah. I think Hannah. 
doesn't foresee consequences. I think Jessa does foresee consequences and doesn't necessarily care, or might even at times seek the negative outcome. I think she's pretty... Mean-spirited is the wrong word, but she's definitely a force of chaos in the world. And I think her lack of, shall we say, traditional morality, um, to be diplomatic about it, <laughs> sort of makes her really tough for me to like. Because every time she's around someone, I'm like, oh, it's going to go badly for you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so what are your guys' hopes for season three? And I think one interesting thing in terms of story arc and plotting, at least, is season three is supposed to have 12 episodes. Hmm. So they have a little bit more room to stretch out. And hopefully that is, at least is my hope um, of something that will happen. What do you guys think? I want Jessa back. As much as she's my least favorite character, I do think much more happens to her than anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, I think she you know, you need chaos in the world to make things happen, and she will make things happen. I want to see everyone's friendships reconnect, honestly. I feel like Hannah and Marnie kind of had their breakup. I feel like Shosh doesn't talk to anybody anymore. I feel, you know, Jess is gone. I would like this to come back to a central point where they are, like, sitting around talking to each other. Like, I want them in the bath together. I want them <laughs> having dinner parties where they actually like each other. Like, that's my big hope, is to see how they navigate each other. I feel like this season caught me off guard, and it gave me things that I had wanted without necessarily knowing that's what I wanted. Hmm. Um, like, I found it funnier than the previous season, but then it also had a lot of really meaningful little moments that like that are the reason I enjoy the show like I remember there is one moment where um Hannah is waiting outside the bathroom at uh Marnie and uh, Booth's art party and it's like this is something that I have experienced before like feeling completely out of place in this scene of people that I'm sort of jealous towards but also really hate and like I want their respect but I also just want to leave this place um I want more moments like that and and also like the phone conversation between Marnie and Hannah which we talked about before it's just like where they don't say anything to each other but it means so much that it's like this friendship is crumbling I want more laughs and I want more tears <laughs> <laughs> i would like to see hannah succeed for once and i think that the show is smart enough that it would be able to handle that in a way that was that could be satisfying mm -hmm. i would love to see her finish her ebook or publish an essay or two and see how she actually handles more success because right now she's given these opportunities and dropping them but i want to see her strive a little bit more and find success and then deal with all the things that come from actually getting what you want and seeing it to a larger conclusion. And I want Elijah back. <laughs> I, he could have more, I believe that there is more character in there that can be developed because he's hilarious. Between him and Adam, 
I just, I love everything that comes out of their mouths and their delivery. I think they're both also excellent mm-hmm. actors. They really bring a lot to this show. I thought of one more thing that I want. Yes. I want Carol Kane to come back. <gasps> yes. That one scene that she did was the five best minutes of television this year. Oh my God. Like, that's it. That I will stand behind that claim no matter what other television you show me. Carol Kane. <laughs> that's all. Yeah, she was amazing. Also, Bob Balaban as the therapist yes! was amazing. And I Googled it after. He actually did write books, Bob Balaban himself. And there are these, like, YA books about a dog, and they're really adorable. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to post a picture online on the Tumblr because it's so funny. I can't think of the name right now, but the cover is like a a dog's face close up. Wow. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much to Chris J. Kelly for coming on. Um, You can hopefully find more of his writing at Queerty.com. Absolutely. I recap RuPaul's Drag Race every week, and I will also be recapping Ready for Love, the new reality show about three men using matchmakers to sort through a group of 24 pre-selected women. I, I don't know. Okay, good. So we're really looking forward to that. Chris, <laughs> thank you so much for chatting girls with us. It's been a delight. And we'll see you next season. Uh, So before we wrap up, we just want to talk about a couple of things that are coming up. We are continuing our Too Good to Be Forgotten film series at the 92Y Tribeca. A collection of films from our youth that we remember fondly. The next one is on April 24th at 7.30 p.m. at the 92Y Tribeca, and we are showing Slums of Beverly Hills. Uh, Lucky for you, the writer-director Tamara Jenkins will be there to answer our questions after the movie. Yeah, and she wrote this film uh, based off her own story growing up, so I'm really excited to hear what she has to say. Mm -hmm. And if you are a big Slums of Beverly Hills uh, fan, or even just a fan of Bonnie and Maude, we're actually running a little uh, show us you care and receive a care package contest or sweepstakes or something. I never understood the phrase sweepstakes. I think sweepstakes just means kind of random random win instead of like contest where you're like competing okay i buy that (laughs) um basically what we're asking is for you to subscribe to our podcast on itunes and to leave us a review and let us know what you think of the show and then at a later date we'll pick somebody's name at random and Mm -hmm. send them this fabulous care package with um all sorts of things including a vhs copy of slums of beverly hills that ksenia found in chicago i hope you still have your vhs player or you, you can just put it on your shelf. Sure. Yeah, even if you don't, they make great artifacts these days. And there are some other fun things like I Love Bad Movies um, issues and uh, a mix CD that we'll make for you. So leave us reviews and um, let us know and you can win. And they don't necessarily have to be good reviews. They could be good, bad, in between. We just want to know what you think and uh, we're curious to hear from you. And there, there's more information at our Tumblr, bonnieandmaud.tumblr.com, and our website, bonnieandmaud.com. Thanks for listening. I got this feeling on the summer day when you were gone. I crashed my car into the bridge, I watched, I let it burn. I threw your shit into a bag and pushed it down the stairs. I crashed my car into the bridge. Please, listeners, if this is your life, seek help. <laughs> Don't don't follow Hannah Horvath and her friends. Don't be these girls. I don't-